Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. We're doing well? Amen. How about the presence of the Lord this morning? Man, I was just like about broke down crying a couple of times. It's hard to play guitar and cry at the same time. It was awesome, man. I'm so thankful. It must be that we're getting ready to uh, just see and feel God move in a very special way today as we are continuing in our talk on uh, the grace of giving. I did, before we get into the message today, I just want to say, wasn't last week amazing? I just thought Pastor Tony brought an incredible word. I, I love, I, I taught her everything she knows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, I just love discovering new ways to look at Scripture and, and, and uh, learn in the Bible and just that understanding that it's not just faith like a child, it's becoming humble like a child. And that God makes great things small, but he also makes small things great. And if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord at the right time, he will lift us up. In honor, it was such such a great word. And if you missed it, you can catch it on Facebook or on our iTunes uh, podcast or on our website. It'll all be there for you. I really encourage you to do so. Well, we are in week two of our series, The Grace of Giving. And uh, la- last time we were together with you, and we were talking about giving. We were talking about the why of giving. Like it, it's a big deal in the Christian world to be generous. And we were asking the question, why is that? And ultimately, it's because our Father in heaven is generous. Right? He's, a, he's a generous God, and his heart is for generosity. And one of the ways he wants us to show love to each other is through generosity, through giving one to another. And, uh, and so it's, it's an important thing that, that we are walking and trying to grow in generosity. Now, generosity is not natural for everyone. I've testified about this before. I've probably shared this with you before. But when we were first married, Tony and I, I wasn't that generous. Like, I'm growing in generosity. I mean, it was so bad that when we were out on a date, if she wanted something off my plate, like, she'd be risking drawing back a nub. Like, it's like, I'd be like, you know, just like a, like a vicious dog ready, ready to pounce. You know, I'm like, if you wanted some of that, you should have ordered that. I would have ordered that for you, you know, but this is my plate, right? This is just, that's just like what I had in my, my, I was just like, man, I don't want to share this. I was excited to get this. It's like, I want the whole cheeseburger, not three quarters of it, right? So, but I am repenting every day for that and, and uh, growing in generosity. And I just appreciate God's grace and his forgiveness and his patience with us. He is so patient. But some of you, you don't, you don't struggle with genero- uh, generosity. It's, it comes naturally to you. It's like a gift, and that's what we saw last, last time we were together, that there is a gift of favor, a gift of grace on your life in being generous. It, it just seems to be just second nature. You'd give somebody the shirt off your back the moment, moment you heard about it, and that's an awesome thing. And so th- some of us might struggle, but other of us thrive in it, and you inspire us, those that struggle with generosity, to keep growing in our generosity. Because it's, it's one of the tangible ways God uses us to carry his message of love to other people. And so it's a powerful tool that God uses to make his love tangible. And, and so today, we're not talking about the why of generosity, but we are going to talk about the duty of generosity. There is a duty on every child of God, every follower of Jesus Christ, in being 
in being generous. And though generosity is something we should all aspire to, again, we get to have a gift, a special gift of the Holy Spirit in the realm of giving. For the followers of Jesus Christ, God has called us to be, to be givers in the area of tithing. And it's a special area that God has challenged every child of God, every believer, to, to give. And there's a special blessing for that. We'll get into that next week. But we're going to talk about the duty of giving in the area of tithing. Now, many people have different views on tithing. And some people will say, well, man, that was in the Old Testament. That was in the law. And since that was in the Old Testament, we don't really have to do that today. And so that doesn't really apply to the, today's church because that, that was in the Old Testament. And I would say there are other things in the Old Testament, like thou shalt not murder, that I think apply today, wouldn't you say? Like just because we're in the New Testament, Jesus died and rose again, that doesn't mean we go out and just whack off anybody that we, we want to. Just go, you know, man, they, they didn't make my meal right at McDonald's. Wham! You know, just that, that's not permitted, right? So there are things in the Old Testament that still apply today. And the thing about tithing is tithing came before the law. We see that with Abraham. Tithing was instructed in the law in Moses, and it continues on and through the New Testament. Many of the early church fathers, uh, Arrhenius, Chrysostom, Jerome, Augustine, they're the disciples of the disciples. They all taught the relevance of tithing for the church. So it's not a practice that died in the New Testament. It was carried on, and I believe for good reason, because if God is asking us to do something, how many of you know it's for your good? It's for good, right? He knows the plans he has for you. It's for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope. So if God is calling us to do something, if he's instructing us to do something, then it's for good reason. So the first thing we want to talk about today in the area of tithing is I want to talk to you about the principle of first. The principle of first. We're going to talk about first things first. Did you catch that? All right, just making sure you're with me. So there is a well-known story in the first book of the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, about two brothers. It's a famous story. And the older brother and the younger brother, they didn't really get along. And they're famous for not getting along very well. How many of you have a sibling that you grew up with that you don't really get along with? Anybody? Amen? Am I the only one? Like, like my brother and I, we never got along. I'm the younger, more special child. That's what the older siblings seem to think. You know, the younger ones get away with everything. Um, but my brother and I, we fought like cats and dogs. We did not get along. One day, uh, I was, uh, got home from school first. I wouldn't typically get home first because he was two, two years older than me. And so I'm home, and I've got my electric guitar out, and I'm just, you know, just going at it in my, my living room or my bedroom because I was the next Van Halen, you know. So I was just had it cranked, and I was going nuts. And I didn't know my brother came home. He never said a word to me. But all of a sudden, in the middle of this monster riff that I'm just going off on, everything shuts down. My room goes dark. My amp gets turned off. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Did the power go out? Well, I go out of my, my room, and I notice the other lights are on. It's like, what, what's the deal? My brother shut the breaker off to my room. He didn't ask me to turn it down. He didn't ask me to turn it off. He just went and shut the whole power off to my bedroom. Of course, I wasn't having that, so I went down, and I was saying in a few uncertain terms, you better turn that back on. 
in which he refused, and we ended up in a scuffle in the kitchen. He pushed me into a, a, the uh, microwave, and we put a dent in the microwave, and I don't even think my mom to this day knows the honest truth about how that dent got in the microwave. But, but then uh, as we're, we're resting around, I ended up smacking him in the face. He's the only person I've ever hit in the face, believe it or not. And, and we finally like, got done wrestling around and feeling like idiots. But that's how we were growing up. We were like that until we both moved out of the house. We had to grow up in order to get along, right? So we had this sibling, sibling rivalry that continued on. And in this story of these two brothers, they had a sibling rivalry. The older brother had that older brother chip on his shoulder, thought, you know, his younger brother just got all the praise, got all the, got all the you know, the attention, and especially when it came to their relationship with God. And one day, Cain and Abel are preparing offerings to the Lord, and they're coming to present their offerings to the Lord. And so we're going to read in Genesis chapter 4, 3 through 7, and we're going to read this account of what happened when they're offering their gifts to the Lord. Verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Cable or Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you so angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Jesus, for your presence with us. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for every promise that that you will never leave us or forsake us, and that if we follow you, if we trust in you, God, that you will richly bless our lives. And so, Lord, we come humbly before you. We say, speak, Lord. We're here to listen. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to receive and believe, to put faith in everything that you've spoken. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So here we have this, this moment. Cain and Abel have offered their gifts. But Cain, his offering is rejected. And Abel, his younger brother, was accepted. So something to fuel the fire, right? Something to fuel that, that animosity between the two. And we know that later on, Cain sets his brother up and ends up murdering him in a field. So th this isn't, wasn't just a small slight. This was something that Cain really took personally that ended up ending his brother's life. And so as we look at this passage, we have to see what, what was it? What was it that caused Cain's gift to be rejected and Abel's to be accepted? And many have, have posed different suggestions, one of which was, well, maybe it was because Abel offered of, of the flock because he was a shepherd. He, he raised the, the herd. And so he offered a blood sacrifice. And maybe that had something to do with Jesus' sacrifice. And so maybe that's why Cain's offering was rejected and and that would be, you know, a good thing to think, except in the law of Moses, God commanded Israel not only to give blood sacrifices, but also grain and fruit and crop sacrifices. There were different types of offerings in the Old Testament. So we know biblically, it wasn't just because he had given a blood sacrifice. In verse 3, it gives us the clue as to why Cain's offering was rejected and Abel's was accepted. In verse 3, let's look, look at that again. It says what? It says, in the course of what? In the course of time. 
In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord, the fruit of the ground. But Abel also brought of the what? Of the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. Cain brought offering in the course of time, but Abel brought of the firstborn. There's that word first, the firstborn. The difference between the sacrifices, why Abel's was accepted and Cain's was rejected, is because of how their offerings are described. Abel brought of the firstborn and the richest part, the fat of his flock, while Cain waited and brought an offering over the course of time. Abel gave first, Cain gave his leftovers. So this issue isn't really about the kind of sacrifice. It's about the heart behind the sacrifice, which is why when the Lord comes to Cain, he says, why is your face fallen? Why do you look so dejected? Don't you know that if you do good, you'll be accepted? There's a reason why God didn't accept it. In Proverbs 3, 9, here's what Proverbs says. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits, somebody say first fruits, there's that word first, the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth, not just with a gift, not just with an offering, but with your first fruits, with the first part of your produce. The New Living Translation says it this way, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the what? With the best part. Isn't the first always the best? When you were in school and you were picking teams at recess, where did you want to be picked? First, right? When your parents come home with fresh, hot pizza and you open it up, what do you want? The first slice, right? When you're in a competition, you want to come in first. Why? First is always best. We always want first. We, we think of ourselves. We want to put ourselves first when we're thinking selfishly. Why? Because the first part is the best part. And so the reason why God rejected Cain and accepted Abel is because Abel put God first and Cain didn't. It's all about your priority list. In Exodus 20, verse 3, in the Ten Commandments, the very first commandment, what does God say? He says, you shall not have any other gods before me. It's interesting that he uses that word before. Other translations will say, you can't have any other gods but me. But most translations will translate it this way. No gods before me. It carries the idea that God wants to be the utmost, highest priority in your life. That he wants his people to worship him and him alone. No other gods before him. He wants to be first in position in your life. First place. Most important. He wants to be in the best place. That's where God wants to be. So one of the areas God commanded to put his people first was in their finances, in their wealth. God blessed the people. We saw this last week. Everything, the last time we were together, everything God that we have belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to God. And since it all belongs to God, we don't own it. We just manage it. We're just caretakers of what God has given. And so God, he is instructing his people in the tithe to give him 
of the tithes when, they, when he gave them the law of Moses. In ancient Israel, they farmed and they raised animals. They, they grew crops. And so often their tithes were in denominations of livestock and in different crops that they raised. But nevertheless, in the New Testament, in our day and age, the wealth that we have, what we've been given, God's instructing us to give of our finances, give of our paychecks. And the word tithe simply means a tenth. Somebody say a tenth. Tithe means a tenth. So he wants us to give him a tenth of what we earn back to the Lord. And Jesus affirms this in the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to these Pharisees, these religious leaders, the people he keeps butting heads with all the time. And he's kind of rebuking them a little bit because of their hypocrisy. Look what he says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithful, faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So Jesus is blasting these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these religious guys, for tithing of their most minuscule seasonings. This feel like going into your spice rack and emptying out your salt shaker and getting a tenth out of your salt shaker getting a tenth out of your cumin shaker, a little tenth out of your pepper, a little, a little tenth out of your, your taco seasoning, you know, whatever you have. And, and then offering that to the Lord, being so careful to tithe even the most minuscule things, but yet they also forsook weightier things. They forsake faithfulness and compassion and justice and mercy. But look what Jesus says to these religious leaders. He's talking about tithing. He says, these you ought to have done. You should be tithing. You should be giving. But don't neglect your heart too. Don't neglect your heart. So hear me when I say this. This, this is a, a beautiful thing that Jesus is saying. Tithing doesn't make you spiritual. It's not a quick fix for faithlessness or lacking in character. Jesus tells them, you should be doing these things. You should be walking by faith. You should be living by the things you say you believe. This means that the purpose of this rebuke, it's flowing from a heart of love, not a heart of pride. Tithing doesn't make you look good if you're neglecting the heart that the Lord wants from you. Tithing doesn't make you more spiritual. What it does is it just allows you to obey the Lord. The religious leaders were always falling away into self-righteousness. They were proud of what they gave. They would give in public. They would pray in public. They would dress to, to look like they were super spiritual in front of other people. They had this zeal for the admiration of men. And so when they gave, they gave to be seen. But that's not what God wants. God doesn't want just a religious exercise. A religious obligation. He doesn't want you to give and neglect your heart at the same time. In the book of Malachi, Malachi chapter 3, is this in the Old Testament? The Israelites had come under some difficult times, and God's blessing had been removed from the land. God had made them specific blessings, given them specific blessings that he would do if they were faithful to him, and they were missing those blessings. And so they were kind of whining to God a little bit. And the prophet is speaking on behalf of the Lord to these religious leaders in Malachi chapter 3. 
And here's what he says in verse 6. God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. In other words, I've promised to protect you, to watch over you, to be faithful to you, to be gracious to you. That's why amongst all your, your wickedness and all your rebellion, you're not dead yet. That's what he's saying. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and you've not kept them. In other words, I've been gracious to you, and you didn't deserve it. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Right? God's blessings were being withheld because of what he's about to say next. Here he says, but you say, how shall we return? Right? They're wondering in their minds, like, well, like what's the deal? What, what have we been doing that has withheld your blessings from our lives. And God's getting ready to answer them. In verse 8, he says, Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? Think about that for a minute. Right? You might be able to walk into the 7-Eleven, and there's that little tiny piece of candy that just is going to, like, touch that sweet tooth that you have. And, man, it's right there on the corner. You could walk out with that. No one would know. And you might swipe that and you get away with it. No one even saw you. And they probably wouldn't even recognize it on their books because it was just something so small. Or you might be at a friend's house and, man, they'd, they, they got that new pair of shoes that you've been wanting forever. And you, you know that when they go to the back room, you could take those and walk off and, you know, they might not pay attention for a while and they might not miss them for a minute. You might be able to swipe something from a friend or swipe something from a convenience store, but how many of you know you cannot swipe things from God? God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows every mind and thought. He knows what you're going to think before you even think it. He knows. Will a man rob God? Yet you've been robbing me. And so they respond to the Lord and they say, well, how have we robbed you? And the Lord says, in your tithes and in your contributions. In your tithes and in your contributions. Another word for contributions is offerings. The tithes were the requirement, and the offerings were over and above the tithes. And they had many different offerings they could give. Did you know the Israelites had an offering called a free will offering? It was a just because offering. Just because God is good. Man, God, look at all you've blessed. Look at all the stuff I have. Look at all the things in my life. Look at how well you've been taking care of us. Man, God, you're such an awesome God. I'm going to give you an offering. Not because you owe it to, I owe it to you, but be, just because you're good. And so they would give him these free will offerings. And, and so they didn't just give of their tithes. They also were to give offerings as they worshiped the Lord. But in the Israelites in this day, they weren't tithing. They weren't even giving the offerings. In verse 9, here's what God says as he pulls back his blessings because they weren't walking in obedience. He says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me and the whole nation of you. So it wasn't just the religious leaders. All the people weren't tithing. They, none of them were following through with what God was asking them to do. And here God says they were cursed with a curse. How many of you know that what is not blessed is cursed? If God's blessing isn't on it, it's automatically cursed because God doesn't bless disobedience. So if you want God to bless your relationship, don't sleep together and don't move in together before you're married. 
If you want God to bless your job, don't lack integrity. Don't, don't be dishonest. Show up when you said you're going to show up. Don't fudge the numbers. Be honest in your, in your work, in your worth ethic, in your character. If you want God to bless your finances, then put him first in your finances. If you want God to bless your family, center him or your family around him and teach them to honor God with their lives. God wants to bless. He wants to bless every area of your life. That's what God does. Jesus came, John 10, 10. What, I've come that you might have life and what? Life more abundantly. Life overflowing. Life without measure. He wants to bless you in a way that you can't even contain all the blessings. That's God's heart for you. But if you don't follow in obedience what God wants for you, he can't bless you. And therefore, there's a curse. Did you know that the number one cause for divorce in America is financial problems? been that way for years. It's the leading cause of divorce in marriage is financial problems. I'd say we need all the blessing of God in our finances we can get. See, many of you in, in our church, many of you give faithfully and you give generously and we thank God for you. We have some crazy generous givers. Some of you come and, and you give kind of like Cain. You give a little here and you give a little, a little there. Some of you come and you don't give it all. My question to you is, are you, are you tired of living under the curse? Are you tired of living under the curse? Some of you might give to an organization and because it's religious in nature, you think, okay, well, that, that's, that's my tithe or that, that's my giving. And some of you might give over here and it, it's kind of sporadic in your giving. But it's not the tithe. It's not what God has commanded us to do. In verse 10, here's what God says. He says, bring the full tithe. Somebody say the full tithe. Bring the full tithe. I used to wrestle with this all the time. There's always the question, when you're talking about tithing, you always get this question. Is it your net or your gross? Is it your net or your gross? Is it what I see? Or does it include what the government takes? And my question is, is if your heart's right with God, why are you asking the question? Bring the full tithe, the first fruit, the first and the best. That's what God asks. Put him first. And where are you to bring the tithe? Into the storehouse. Why? That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test. This is the only place in all of Scripture God says, you can test me in this. This is God's double dog dare to every child of God, every believer. He says, I double dog dare you to try to outgive me, to be more faithful than me. I double dog dare you. He says, put me to the test, and if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down a what? That's why he's asking. God wants to bless you. He wants to overwhelm you with his goodness. In verse 11, here's what he says. And I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. The vine in your field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The curse that comes against us is that the devourer gets free reign over our stuff, over our lives, and not just with our paycheck. How many of you are tired of your stuff breaking down just when you're about to get ahead? 
all, all the time. You're, you're, you're about to pay off a bill, but then you have a medical emergency. All these things are happening. There is a curse on your finances, and you're not able to move forward because God's blessing isn't on your finances. It's not on your life. And God says, if you trust me, if you give faithfully, if you bring it to the storehouse, then I'm going to rebuke the devourer, and I'm going to open the windows of blessing. For no other reason, that's a good reason. That's a good reason. I have a story I could share. I have many stories I could share about how God's come through in, in the moment of deepest need. One of the most significant stories in, in our life uh, in the last few years we, uh, we have an in-ground pool, and it was nearing the end of its 10-year life, and all of a sudden, the, the pool begins to leak and begins to drain out, and we're like, oh, that's not good. You know, that, that, that's going to require some repair, and then all of a sudden, the sidewalls of the pool cave in, and the, the liner rips out, and it just looks like a swamp back there. It's horrible. We get a pool company out to look at it, and we're looking at about a $10,000 bill. And we didn't have that money. We didn't have even close to that. And so Tony and I, we just started praying. We're like, God, you promised. You promised to take care of our needs. You promised that if we gave to you faithfully, you would take care of all of our needs. And we have a big need right now. I know that we don't absolutely need a pool because we're spoiled Americans. We feel like we do. But we have one. And, it, and if we have it, we need it to be fixed. And so we began praying, and, and it was probably weeks and weeks. We didn't know how this was going to go. And, and then not long after that, my grandfather passed away. And then shortly after that, my grandma passed away. And I had no idea, but my grandfather had written us into his will. And they left us a little bit of an inheritance that not only enabled us to fix the pool, but also do other remodeling projects around our house that we've been wanting to do that we couldn't afford to do. God came through in a miraculous and powerful way. And we've got stuff that we want to do now to the house, but we're not praying because we like Greg and Lori. We want to keep them around for a while. Because <laughs> it seems like God's taking out relatives when we need something paid for. <laughs> but God does this. He comes through. I could recount time and time again of getting random checks in the mail and just blessings from people. There, uh, not long ago, there was a pastor who was praying for us, uh, and he just said, man, I just feel like God laid you on my heart and gave me a $1,000 check for nothing. For nothing. And he didn't know that we were planning on going on vacation. And we had an unexpected bill, and we didn't know how we were going to pay for the vacation other than rack up credit card debt, and the man just paid for it. I mean, God's always doing these types of things, always doing, because he's faithful to his word. So we tithe, yes, because it's God's will and because he's commanding us to do it, but it's so we open the window of blessing. And there are also practical reasons why God set up the tithe this way. I want to cover the, a couple of those with you. In verse 10, he said in Malachi, bring the tithes into the storehouse so there may be food in his house. In ancient Israel, the, God commanded the people of Israel to bring the food to the storehouse, but not because he was hungry. How many of you know God doesn't eat like we eat? Right? In Psalm 50, 12, and 13, it says, If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? 
Now, this was written before Jesus came, and I imagine that after the incarnation and him being born to Mary, one, one taste of a T-bone steak, he probably changes his mind about this one. You know, it's good. Steak is good. Meat is good. But God doesn't eat like we eat. And in, in India, the Sadish, the, the guy that runs the orphanage in India that, that we've been supporting, uh, we did the Christmas blessing, he'll send me pictures of shrines all over where they have vegetables and different foods there at the shrines as an offering to the Lord that they're trying to feed their gods. God doesn't eat like we eat. He, he doesn't need that type of food. And here God is really sarcastically speaking. He's like, man, if, if I were hungry, I'm not going to ask you to get me anything. Everything in the world is mine. It's mine. I don't need your permission, and I don't need your help because he could probably cook better than we can anyway. Right? The sacrifices we give aren't for him to eat. That's not why he wants food in his storehouse. We're not feeding him. God doesn't even need our offerings. Did you know that? He doesn't even need them, but he wants them. Sometimes we get this idea that God needs us to give, but it's not the case. He wants us to give, to participate in the ministry he's established here on earth so that we can be blessed by our participation. So again, the Israelites, when they were in Israel, they, were, they finally got to the promised land. Moses divides the land between the 12 tribes, except for one, the tribe of Levi, didn't get any land because they weren't to work the land to grow crops or to raise cattle. Their portion was the Lord. They worked in the temple, in the tabernacle. They taught the people. They facilitated the offerings and facilitated the sacrifices. And so God's way of taking care of the priests of Levi was that they were to partake of the holy things because they couldn't make a living for themselves. So when God instructed the people to bring the, the tithes to the storehouse, what he was saying is bring your tithes to the temple. Bring your tithes, to the, your offerings to the temple, and there they'll be offered, there they'll be sacrificed, and that's how I'm going to take care of the ministry that I have for the people of God. And the same is true for the church in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 9.14, Paul says, In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. And not just supported, but here in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, it says elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle the ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, it says those who work deserve their pay. In another translation in the King James in verse 17, it says the, those who work well are worthy of double honor. That word honor in the Greek means the price paid or received for a person or thing bought or sold. So in other words, what, what Paul is instructing Timothy to instruct the church, he's saying those who serve the church, those who work, shouldn't just be paid well. You should look at what they would make in the secular world, and you should pay them double. That's what he's saying. Now, I'm not advocating for a raise, even though I wouldn't reject one. But he's saying you need to take care of your people. You need to take care of those who serve you, who work to lead you, to instruct you in the ways of God. And not only does the tithe pay for the, the pastor's or the minister's salary, but it also goes to fund the ministry. In Acts chapter 6, verse 2, 
It says, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. There was an issue where the different widows and orphans of the different people groups were arguing that one was getting taken care of better than another. And so they were coming to the apostles. They're like, you guys got to do something about it. And they're like, we can't do that because then we won't be able to fulfill our calling in our ministry. So they elected deacons and servants to run the program. Well, guess what? The food's got to come from somewhere, and the support for those servants got to come from somewhere. And where does it come from? It comes from the tithes and the offerings. So the church gives to support those who are in ministry, those who are leading the church, and those who are working to direct the church. The church still had a food program they had to take care of. So the people give to support that. So everyone in the church, whether a lay person or ministry staff, we're all called of God to give our first and our best and to bring that tithe into the storehouse. For us, it's not the temple in Israel. For us, it's our local church. It's where we worship. It's where we serve. And just as a, a side note, especially if you're looking to grow up in spiritual leadership here at Vertical Life Church, one of the things we look at to see if you're spiritually mature and ready to raise up into leadership is your giving record. Whether or not you're consistent in your tithes and offerings. And you say, well, why? It's because how can you lead the church if you're not even supporting the church? How can you lead in the vision and mission of the church if you're not at the ground level, basic level, supporting the vision and mission of the church? So these are practical reasons why we should give. So it's important we're all giving, that we're all funding the ministry so God's work can move forward and the Spirit is not stifled in our personal growth and in our growth as a church at large. And I just want to say, and I want you to hear my heart on this, that this isn't to be condemning, right? Jesus said, remain in the truth, and it will what? It'll set you free. So even though the truth can be hard to wrestle with, it's for our good, and we can't shy away from the truth. And there are some that will come to ministries and they'll receive of the, of the ministers, they'll receive of the well-being and the goodness of the church, but they won't put, won't put anything back into it. They won't contribute anything back into it. And, and if that's where you are, I just want to be honest, you are taking advantage of the church. You're taking advantage of the well-being of the church. And again, the church had a food program. And in, in Thessalonica, there were some, Paul addresses in 2 Thessalonians, who weren't putting anything back into the program. They were receiving, but they weren't giving. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, Paul says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this command, those unwilling to work will not get to what? Eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. In other words, he's saying is don't take advantage of the church. There's help for when you need it, but don't abuse it by just receiving and not putting anything back. Position yourself to be able to give back because it's better to give than what? Receive anyway. So, first things first, we give God our first and our best practical reasons is because the money supports the church and the ministers in the work of God. Number three, the last thing I want to share with you is that tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. 
The word tithe means tenth, and the number ten in Scripture often refers to a time of testing. The Lord, again, in the Ten Commandments, what were the Ten Commandments? It was the covenant of God. It was the test to Israel whether or not they were going to trust in God and believe in God first among all other things. The tithe is a tangible way that they would put their faith and trust in God. So again, in the Ten Commandments, God says you should have no other gods before him. That you should give the best portion, our first and our best. The reason why tithing is a struggle and can be a struggle is because our faith and our trust is being tested on who we're going to trust in or what we're going to trust in. Are we going to trust God at his word, in his faithfulness, or are we going to trust ourselves to work out our own problems? In 1 Peter, 6, or 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter talks about trials and what their purpose is. He says, be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Okay. Let's see you do that, Peter. Let's see you be joyful ahead in all these trials, right? I can tell you I'm not really laughing unless it's out of sarcasm when things are going bad. Right? right? It's like that nervous laughter. Yeah, okay, okay. But he says these trials will what? They'll show your faith is Genuine. Trials show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor. Why? Because God blesses faith. God blesses faithfulness. And God's preparing a blessing for you, not just in this life, but in the life to come, to reward you of every moment of faithfulness you expressed in your life. Every time you say, God, it hurts, but I'll do it anyway. God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you anyway. God, I'm not sure, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Every moment you made those decisions, God stored up treasure for you in heaven. That's why Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth cannot corrupt and thief cannot break in and steal. There's treasure in heaven. There's a reward for you for every part of trust, every place of trust you put Christ in your life. That word trial can also mean temptation. There's a temptation to not give. When you look at your bills and you look at your paycheck, there's a temptation to not give. But how many of you guys know God does impossible math? Impossible math. The feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. God does impossible math. Your little amount does not overtake his ability to provide. The word test means to examine, to prove, or scrutinize, to determine the quality of something. And that's what really God is getting at with the tithe, the test in your giving. He wants you to prove the quality of your faith to prove the quality, whether he is in first place in your life or something else is in first place in your life. Whether or not you're going to trust God to do more with a blessed $90 than you can with a cursed $100. He's testing your faith. And this is where the rubber meets the road because God said we should have no other gods before him. No other gods before him. A God is something you depend on for your provision, your comfort, your security, or your well-being. And we make gods out of all sorts of things. 
We depend on all sorts of things for security or happiness other than God. Jesus in Matthew 6, 24, he says what? You cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to the one or despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You're either going to serve God in your finances or you're going to serve money. That word money is also the word mammon in the original language. And many uh, uh, early church fathers believed that was actually a personification of a spiritual entity that was over money, a demonic force that was leading a temptation into greed and in the love of money. It's why they all, the scripture also says the love of money is the root of all evil. Selfish gain. Right? So here Jesus is saying you can't serve greed. You can't serve selfish gain. You can't serve money and serve God at the same time. You've got to make a choice. That's why the tithe is a test. Who are you going to serve? This is where it gets uncomfortable and scary for some, especially if you've not been walking in this. Those of you that you've been tithing, you're championing this. You're like, yeah, preach it, Pastor Joey. Those of you that are struggling with it, you're like, will you shut up? Come on, you know. But here's the deal. It's a test. And this is the testing ground. This is where your faith is put to the test. So I want to close with a story from when I was uh, younger in middle school. Our church went to church camp every summer, and, and I, I think I was probably eighth grade around this time, but we, we went, and the highlight of camp every year was the team sports. It was when we'd break up into teams, and we could play different sports, and I don't know whose idea this was, but they're the biggest idiot in the world. But this year was different. This year, the team sport that we were doing, they, they created a game they called long base. It was essentially kickball and softball into one. So what they would do is they would bounce a kickball to you, but then you would have to hit it with an aluminum softball bat. And you'd run to first base and back. And you could get as many people on the first base as you wanted. But when the last person hit the ball, everyone had to run. And that's how you, you scored. And you'd get people out like normal. You could catch the ball or you could tag them out, all that type of thing. So you know, on my team, you know, I, I was a few back in the line. And man, people were just whiffing it back and forth. Either they, were, they, they got caught out or they weren't hitting very, very well. And there's a few people on, on the base. And so I thought, man, I'm going to Babe Ruth this thing. I, I was like, I'm going to pick my spot out in the field, and I'm going to hit this thing, and I'm going to knock everybody home. So it was my turn, and, and I get up to bat, and here comes the bounce, and it was a perfect bounce. You know what I mean? It's like it's, like it's coming at you. You're like, man, I'm going to wail this thing. And I smacked that thing as hard as I could with all the power and energy that I had, and it went soaring into middle field. And I thought, man, that was awesome. But what I didn't expect was the force of the hit on the rubber ball to force the bat back into my face. And it rang my bell. Like, it almost knocked me out. But to save face, I'm like, oh, I can't act like I'm hurt, so I got I to gotta run this thing off. So I'm running to first base, and all of a sudden, I just feel my head start to sweat profusely. And I'm like, what? In the, and I moved my hand, and it wasn't sweat. It was blood. It had opened a giant gash over my right eyebrow, in my right eyebrow. And I began to, like, panic because at that moment, I'm more like, 
half dazed. I am now bleeding profusely. My head hurts. I collapse, and I'm like freaking out, and everyone's around me because, you know, that makes it better when the crowd comes around you and when you're having a moment. You know, my, my camp counselor gets me some ice, and they load me up into the van. They rush me all the way home. It was like an hour drive home or whatever. We get to the hospital. My parents meet me in the emergency room. The doctor comes in. He's like, oh, boy's going to need some stitches, 27 stitches, over two different layers. I had internal stitches and external stitches. Before they could give me the stitches, he said, we're going to have to deaden the wound. So we're going to have to give you some shots in the wound. And I'm like, I don't like needles, but I've been pretty brave most of my life. Like, I'm the, I'm the kid that watches the nurse stick it in, you know, it makes them nervous when they're giving you the shot. So I'm like, I think I could probably handle this. I, I'm not crazy about it. But after that first needle, I was like, oh, heck no. That was the worst pain I've ever felt in my entire life. They stuck me inside the wound. They had to do it three times. The second one they had to hold me down for because I was like, I can't deal. This hurts too bad. I cannot deal with this. This is, this is terrible. But yet they had to give it to me. Finally, we get through the, the third one. And the medicine begins to kick in. My head stops throbbing. I'm able to relax and close my eyes and let the doctor just sew me up. Jesus said he's come to give us life and life more abundantly. Some of the things God asks of us to do feel like that moment when you're facing a wound, when you're facing something difficult, and the ask seems to make it worse, to be harder. Now, I didn't ask him to stick the needles into my, my skull. But what the doctors knew that I didn't is that when they did, then I would be brought to peace, and then I could heal. Often trials are just like that. They're painful. But going through them allows us to heal and allows us to get stronger. And I've learned a thing or two. I've learned you don't hit a rubber ball with a metal bat. I just, you learn some things, right? But this is kind of like tithing. Some of you, you might be like, man, our finances are so tight. My job's just not providing. I just don't know if, if I can take that step. I know it's painful. But you know what? God knows when the peace is going to come. The peace is going to come when you stop trusting in your own knowledge, your own strength, your own wisdom, and you say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that I can't outgive you. I'm going to trust that you are who you say you are. You're faithful. You're my provider. You're my daddy. That if I seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, you're going to take care of all my issues, all my problems. You're going to open doors for me and open the windows of heaven for me. I'm going to trust you. And I know today if you surrender that, all that weight that you feel is going to break because that's the lie of the enemy. He wants you stressed and anxious and worried. He doesn't want you free. And Jesus said, if you just trust me, you put me first, I'm going to bless you. And what I bless can't be cursed. 
Are you tired of living under the curse? Nothing that God asks us to do is going to hurt us. Only the things he asks us to avoid will hurt us. So if God is asking us to tithe, and it's for our good, it's for your good. It's for your good. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul tells to the church, as they were raising an offering to send to Jerusalem to help the ministry there, he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Are you going to give them the whole tithe? Are you going to give them your first and your best? You're just going to give them what you get around to? Or are you not going to give? But he says, don't give reluctantly or a response to pressure. He doesn't want more religion. He doesn't want you just checking the mark. He wants this to be an act of worship, an act of praise, an act of trust, an act of faith. He wants this to be from your heart. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully. That word cheerful is the Greek word hilarious, where we get the word hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. Picture it. <laughs> yes, I get to give. Yes. God loves it. He loves a cheerful giver. Not, not someone who's like, oh, I gotta give again. I was gonna buy a pack of gum later. I mean, my last 50 cents. No, God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because that positions you in a place for Him to bless you now. I'm gonna bless you, God. And God's like, okay, guess what? Here come the blessings. Here comes the blessing for you. You give to me in faith with the right attitude, and I'm opening those windows of heaven, and I'm pouring out a blessing that you'll have no room to receive. You're going to have so much blessing in your life, in all different areas in your life, you're going to have to start sharing with other people. You're going to have to start pouring it out into other people because you can't contain it. And that's God's multiplication effect. That's why generosity is such a part of his heart because it's a tangible way his love encounters people. It's the heart of God to give. It's the duty of God, duty of the believer to give. And the challenge for you today, if you've not been tithing, is to start. If you have been tithing, then start walking in greater faith and start sowing in maybe greater generosity. We've got ministries, missionaries that we try to support. We've got our project homecoming that is a continual need as we are preparing to move into the new space and we'll have needs for that. There are other areas other than just, just the tithe, the general resources that we use that we have need for. Pray about taking a step of faith and growing in your generosity. That God's storehouse may always be full. That we'll always have everything that we need. And I know God will bless you for it. Let's bow for prayer. Heavenly Father, I know money is always an uncomfortable subject, Lord, and I'm not going to be dishonest and say it's not uncomfortable for me to even talk about, but Lord, it's, it's not a shameful thing. It's a joyful thing because we know this is a pathway to blessing. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not a solve-all-my-problems scheme, but it is a doorway to being blessed. And God, I want to be blessed today. I want our church to be blessed. I want everyone in this house everyone who calls Vertical Life Church home to be blessed 
as they trust you with their finances, God. And I'm so excited to hear the stories and the testimonies of those that say, you know, I wasn't tithing, but I decided to take God at his word and take that step of faith to grow in my relationship with God. And we're tithing now. And here's what happened. And just rejoice together as, God, you're moving in power and your love is on display. God, give us the faith to obey and trust you at your word. Again, will you today take a step of faith and trust God in your tithes? Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Joey, that's me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. Pastor Joey, I've not been giving faithfully. And I've given here or there. I've made donations, but I've not been faithful in the tithe. But I want to be. I want to be faithful. I want to take that step. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would have the courage to take that step of faith? If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. Just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Would Pastor Joey pray for me? Amen. 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 God, you saw the hands. And I know you delight. You delight in those who want to take that step of faith. God, I pray you give them the courage and the boldness to, to step out. Lord, that, that first time is always the hardest. But God, I know the peace that's going to come the moment they begin taking that step of faith. So God, I just silence the voice of the enemy. I silence every fear and doubt and worry. And God, I just speak life and joy over them as they give to you, God. And I just pray in that first gift, that first step, Lord, that joy would flood their hearts. Hope and expectation of good things would flood their hearts. Security that can only come from on a high. That Psalm 91, wrap your arms around them with the wings of heaven. Security, God, would just cover them in the name of Jesus. I thank you for what is to come. I thank you for what's to come in our, in our offering, our Heart for the House offering next week. As each of us are praying and asking God, what would you have us to give over and above our tithes as a one-time sacrificial gift? God, I thank you for what you've already prepared as a blessing for this house. Now, God, as we enter this time of prayer, in a time of response, I pray, Holy Spirit, you draw every heart. I pray, Lord, that you'd work and move, that if one needs a prophetic word, God, they'd receive it. One needs a healing, they'd receive it. And that today, God, Jesus, you'd be glorified in our faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up for just a moment as Tony leads us in a song. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come down. Maybe you want to come and pray about your heart, about giving. Maybe you want to pray about something else going on in your life. Maybe you're battling a sickness, an illness, or a depression, or kind of darkness on your life, and you'd like to have prayer. We'll be down here to pray with you. If you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior to trust him with your heart and life, we'll be down here to pray with you, to exalt the Lord with you. And I want to encourage you, if God's speaking to your heart, and the offering buckets are still down here, you want to begin tithing today, you can make that gift today. But whatever God is speaking to your heart, whatever you need prayer for, we're going to invite you to come and pray as Tony leads us, and then we'll close in just a minute. Church. We want to say thank you for listening. 
If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.